welcome to smart cherry's thoughts this is sai from india Firstly, firstly, thank you very much, Dad, uh, for uh, coming to my show. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great. To, great to get to meet you. And uh, how do I say your name? Is it Sai? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. So uh, I've gone through your profile. I can see uh, you are uh, doing uh, different jobs, different worlds. So I thought to tell about you and the work that you are doing to my audience. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so uh, let me get started. I'll, I'll kind of do the fast forward version of my uh, of my history. I've been in technology for for many, many years. Uh, so I'll do the fast forward version and then I expect you'll dive in on anything that, that you think your viewers might be interested in. Um, so I got my start, I, you know, back when I got my first computer back in the uh, the pre uh, you know, kind of PC era. So my first computer was a Commodore 64. I got one of those when I was 10. Uh, and I've been hectoring my parents to get me one for at least three years. <laughs> so they finally gave in. Uh, and that really pretty much set as soon as I got my first computer, I kind of knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to I was going to start. I, I envisioned myself essentially as, as a programmer for the rest of my life, uh, you know, writing code and so on. And I really did that, you know, all the way through high school, all the way through college. And then most of my first kind of 15 years of my career we're all rising in the ranks of software development. Uh, you know, so starting, you know, writing assembly code on the Commodore 64, uh, all the way to building telecom big iron um, boxes. So these are boxes that route, you know, route calls across the internet, or, you know, kind of, you know, infrastructure for networking, stuff like we're doing, uh, operating systems and so on. Uh, and I rose my rose up through the ranks uh, there. Uh, graduated from college, went to Bell Labs, and got to work with the Unix researchers in uh, the Unix Research Lab, uh, where they had invented both Unix, which of course most of modern infrastructure runs on a variant of, uh, and certainly all the concepts from from it are prevalent. Uh, so I got to work on Plan Nine, which was the next gen operating system they they came out with. In fact, there's a box set of it on my shelf over there. And uh, then Inferno, which was the third gen operating system. Uh, and from there, uh, I went and we built a voice over IP telephone switches. This is the late 90s uh, on top of uh, Inferno and, and related technologies. Uh, I did that in Bell Labs. That was great. Got to, got to meet and learn with those people. Uh, and then I followed my boss to Silicon Valley, and that really kind of changed, opened up my eyes a ton. And, and about four years into my professional career, I ended up becoming, uh, you know, a founding engineer at a, at a big, you know, telecom company. And this is back when the first Internet bubble was was bursting. Uh, you know, we got started right before the Internet bubble burst, and then we rode through that uh, that downturn. So that was pretty exciting. During that time, we built uh, telecom edge routers uh, and what we call a multi-service access platform. My claim to fame from, let's see, that that's 2000 through 2009. 
uh, that that kind of you know nine or ten years of my career. Claim to fame was in 2004. We delivered fiber to the home uh, as a product, and I could give you a gigabit symmetric in 2004 for like 80 bucks a month. Uh, now I couldn't even buy that, you know, in Silicon Valley for for my own house uh, until I think 2019. So it, it taught me a lesson in the telecom industry, and this is as I started to transition from just being a pure developer. Um, to thinking about business, the business aspects, and, and how does this stuff work, and then go and engineer my way through startups. Uh, the really interesting thing is, despite us delivering this amazing technology, you know, in 2004, and then it being more than a decade before I could buy it, uh, you know, commercially myself as a customer, um, I realized the telecom industry moves super slow and has got a ton of regulation. And the incentive structure is not well aligned to give with between the companies what makes them money and what what consumers uh, need. Uh, and so I decided to move on to a new industry <laughs> because structurally it's uh, there's a lot of government regulation and so on. And it's pretty hard to influence that that market. So after that, I, um, I built a storage company, a data storage company. Um, and you can see, I don't know if you can see on my shelf, that's a that's a hard disk drive pack from back in the day uh, when, you know, hard drives were the size of you know, washing machines. <laughs> uh, so, so pretty fun. And then that box on top of my shelf, that's the first product we shipped from my company, Exablox, um, which is about um, that that device holds about 80 terabytes. Uh, you know, it looks like a piece of, uh, you know, home stereo equipment. But uh, but in, indeed, it's an enterprise, you know, piece of infrastructure. So pretty cool. Uh, that was a real learning experience for me, building uh, building a company that delivers a, a product to enterprise rather than being the person, you know, in the in the code every day, building the building that, you know, building the actual software. Uh, and it was challenging and it was hard uh, and mad props to my my team who stayed uh, stayed with me despite, you know, my flaws. And, and as I was learning how to do that uh, and eventually after about six or seven years, uh, that company got to a really great state. We built that up to about 60 people uh, and we sold that company uh, to StorageCraft, which is another data storage company that services the same market. It was a great partnership with them. Uh, and I moved on to uh, to Google Cloud. And this is the kind of the most recent, almost the most recent thing in my career. Uh, I wanted to accomplish a couple things by by going to Google. The main one being Google Cloud was pretty new uh, in the hyperscaler market at the time. This is 2016. And it had made a good play on App Engine, which was platform as a service and kind of the precursor to all the serverless offerings that you might see out in this space as well. Uh, but I felt like it was missing uh, missing some some key pieces of technology that enterprise would needed in order to actually move uh, into into public cloud from from their own data centers. Uh, so I ended up bringing to market uh, something called File Store, which was file storage solutions for Google Cloud, which, which made a lot of sense given I came from a company that that built a file storage product. I had spent the prior six or seven years of my life becoming a, a deep expert in that space. Um, and so what we did is we brought to market a product, we acquired a company, we grew the team. And by the time I left in uh, 2021, 
we had built that business up to a really important uh, business for Google Cloud. And uh, the team had grown to somewhere north of 120 people. Uh, you know, half, most of that came, or about half of that came through the acquisition, and then we continued hiring uh, just to grow. And we delivered three products uh, in that space. So we built from nothing, kind of like a startup inside a large company even. We, we went from nothing to a whole portfolio of file storage products for Google Cloud, and we unblocked a whole bunch of enterprise adoption, which uh, which which worked out really really well. Uh, and after I felt like I got that into a good spot, I switched to Gradient Ventures, which is Google's seed stage venture fund. And in that role, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, and you know working in a very very large company was was awesome because there's so many resources behind what you're doing. Uh, and as long as uh, you know the product area you're working in has opportunity to to generate revenue for them, you can generally you know good decisions are made, uh, and it's fun to work work there. Um, but I was really hankering to get back to startups. So Grady Adventures was great because I had a had a role where I was a product management partner and chief resident. In those roles, uh, I got to advise our portfolio companies, and we we're investing in. You know, you can go look at the Gradient Ventures portfolio, but there's a couple hundred companies in the portfolio. So I got to go, instead of thinking about large product portfolios, I got to go back to my roots in startups and think a lot about and help companies with their product market fit and go to market strategies as they were launching new products uh, to market. You know, kind of more the, you know, the MVP and let's prove there's a, a, par- a product here and let's, you know, let's pivot until we find something that sticks. And now let's figure out how to scale that. And so that was super fun. Uh, great team at Gradient, great set of portfolio companies. Um, really great exit while I was there with Streamlit, got acquired by Snowflake. Uh, that was one of our portfolio companies. And so that was super exciting uh, to watch that process from, from the investor side uh, instead of from the company, you know, the entrepreneur side or the acquirer side. So now I've, the really interesting thing about my career is not only do I have I built the products, but now I've also acquired a company, I've been acquired, and I've looked at how it works from the investment side. So I have a really holistic view of how, uh, how best to build companies uh, and, and how that might be useful for folks. And then the most recent thing, and then I'll, I'll stop talking and let you ask some questions, uh, the most recent thing is um, uh, we have a nine-year-old son that's super into Minecraft. And so when I left Gradient Ventures, what we decided to do is there were no great services for parents to help their kids play Minecraft uh, online with, with their friends. Um, and so what we embarked on is we built a business called mcplaydates.com. And it is Minecraft server hosting for parents today. And we're expanding into educators and esports leagues uh, and clubs right now as well. So it's it's a business growing fast and and super exciting, and the whole family is working on it. So it's uh, it's super fun uh, to do a family run business. And uh, how how it's going now? Your own business? Our business is going great. Uh, we launched in December uh, after beta. We ran a, a private beta for about a year with, you know, uh, a bunch of early adopter customers, uh, mostly parents of, of you know, fairly young you know, Minecrafters, as they're called, you know, kids playing Minecraft. Uh, and that went really well. And we learned a ton from the, from from that that year long beta. 
Um, and then I left Gradient Ventures in September of 2022, so September of this past year, and focused. We decided to double down on this business uh, instead of doing it as as sort of a, a small thing. We're we're actually going to go and, and turn it into a, into a real scalable business. Uh, and so what we did is we spent basically September, you know, through uh, mid December. Um, adding a bunch of functionality and features based on that, that private beta, uh, to our, to, to support our customers. And then when we launched, uh, you know, now it's all been switched to all the go to market activities, you know, instead of the building of the, the infrastructure and the technology and the platform for hosting Minecraft servers, it's now all uh, going to market. It's actually going really, really well. Um, with only a couple weeks, couple weeks after I can't give you kind of, you know, I don't want to give you some business metrics. It's too early for that, you know, in terms of, you know, number of, you know, revenue and number of customers. That's kind of proprietary information. Uh, but I will say that we've signed up our first esports league. We're working with our first, uh, educator and, uh, and of course parents keep, uh, you know, keep signing up as well. So, um, it's really great because this is first time for me, uh, and actually all of us doing consumer SaaS. Uh, as a business and, you know, the whole go to market piece of, con- of of bringing a product to market for consumers is a lot different than the majority of my career, which is bringing products to market for enterprise. There's quite a bit of difference uh, in, in in basically in how do you find the customers? How do you figure out how to get in front of them and, uh, you know, with, with the value you're, you're creating? And uh, you have uh, uh, users from? Uh, actually, we have users from all around the world uh, right now. Uh, so we uh, we have uh, data centers in even in India and you know all over Asia and, and the U.S. and Europe. So we're in 36 different regions um, with uh, with our service. And I think the customer. So we're based out of Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is kind of the middle of the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. Uh, it's nice and snowy outside today, but uh, you know you know. I'm uh, I'm not going skiing. I'm uh, I'm talking to you today. <laughs> uh, so um, I think a customer that's the furthest away from us uh, is in Singapore, um, and w- and which is another location where we have a have a data center. In fact, and, and they were a, a very early customer, a very early adopter. In fact, in our next newsletter that we're going to be publishing uh, tomorrow, uh, we'll feature one of their builds that they've done in their Minecraft server. So you know, there'll be a little video. Recording of that, of, of their world as uh, walking through, you know, what have they used our service to build uh, and play in with, uh, with their kids and their kids' friends. So super exciting. And uh, what is your motivation to do or uh, to start this? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I have a couple of motivations. One, I think it can be, it's, there's a need in the market for uh, an easy way for parents to be able to let their kids play with their friends in their Minecraft worlds, but not out on the internet at large where they're playing with random, you know, random people on the internet. You, you got to realize um, people, kids start playing Minecraft as early as five or six years old. And let's say you're a teenager. You, great. Go out on the internet at large and, and deal with the whack, wackos that you're going to going to run into. But if you're a five or six year old, I think the, you know, the parents have a little bit, you know, maybe up to 10 or 10, 11, right? Depending on the kid and, and the parents, really they need 
something where they can be very confident it's going to be safe and and secure for their kids. Their kids are only going to chat with people they know, right, and play with, with people they know and that they've approved. Um, and so I think that's one aspect of it. It's the safe and secure uh, aspect of it. The second is um, it's incredibly hard to configure a Minecraft server so that if you have this desire where your kids are only going to play with their friends, it's actually super hard to make that happen uh, as a parent, unless you're a tech, unless you're already a technical person. Like for me, like it was like super fun configuring a server for my kid. Right. Like I'm like, oh, look, I get to go edit config files and, you know, basically write a bunch of YAML, YAML files and stuff like that, which is basically coding, which I did for, you know, first half of my career. So so it's kind of like getting back to the basics. Super fun. But let's say you're the average parent. You know, that's not your ball of wax. Right. Ball of, you know, whatever. That, that That's not that's not the thing that you're going to get excited about. Right. Like, yay, I get to go write some config files for this random software I downloaded from the Internet. Uh, and in fact, it's probably not only is it not your your cup of tea, uh, but it's actually downright scary and challenging. Right. Because how do you know you're setting it up safely and, and securely and, you know, you're not letting random people into your into your network and there's not security vulnerabilities to deal with and so on. You know, stuff that we're used to, to dealing with an enterprise. How do we how do we harden the perimeter? You know, so so folks, you know, attackers can't get in. Um, if you're an average parent, that's that, that's probably not something you want to spend your time learning about how to do. Uh, and then when we look at the average mine, there, you know, Minecraft hosting services are is an existing space, right? Like there, it's an existing market. It's it's a it's a good business for a lot of companies. But when you look at all of the competition, what, what quote unquote competition, and I don't really see them as competition. I think we're servicing different parts of the market. They all lead with tech tech specs, right? Again, so again, servicing the parent. You know, you go to a Minecraft hosting service, you know, that you Googled for, and the when the opening page is 10 different servers to pick from with different numbers of gigabytes of RAM and different, you know, different CPUs and so on, you're probably like, well, I don't know which one, like, how do I, how am I supposed to know, right? And so that's that's the other aspect of it is I think those services are great for experts, like, let's say you've been hosting Minecraft servers for a couple of years. You have very specific things you want to do. You want to set up a tournament and you understand all that technology because you've had a bunch of experience. Great. Like, go use one of those services. I think they're going to be awesome for that. They're they're you know, they're they're going to give you a more low level access into the into the infrastructure to set it up. But if you're the parent that wants your kids to play with their friends, all they all they should have to do is say, let my kid play with my friend with the, with the, with the friends and here's their gamer tags. Right. Like here's who they can play with, you know, and maybe here's what times they can play. Right. You know, if you notice, none of that is technology. All of that is it's all about the goal you're trying to achieve. Right. Like let my kid play with these people at these times. And that's our goal is to be super simple. So that's all you have to do. So uh, there is two people, uh, uh, two persons in you, uh, an entrepreneur as a person, uh, and also uh, a builder, a software builder. So exactly. Talking with people is different from talking with computer. So you did both. Yes. And in fact, this is I have a, I have a great analogy here from from starting my first business. When I started Exablocks, 
I had been a founding engineer at a startup, and so I understood the entrepreneurship, I thought, from the building side. Uh, you know, I was, you know, a bunch of other people in our in our venture backed startup were were responsible for kind of defining the product, and it was my my job to make make it reality, right? Uh, and that was a lot of fun. When I started my company, what I realized is I had spent my entire career talking to computers, and I'm an introvert. Uh, and, and so, you know, when it came to what do I have to do to actually build a company and to go recruit a team and, you know, to go talk to customers and, and, and you know, bring that, you do the customer discovery and figure out what features and functionality they need, what's lacking in the market and so on. All of that was brand new to me. Right. And so I, I came at that like an engineering exercise. Right. I figured that, uh, and as I started Exablox, we bootstrapped for a year before we raised venture funding. And because raising funding and talking to customers, that's all essentially outward facing. You know, uh, I have to talk to people instead of computers. Uh, in that case, what I did during the starting of that company was I were to reward myself. Like the way I the way I was able to, to kind of figure this out is I would reward myself with a week of writing code for spending a week going talking to people. Right. And that was sort of my like, OK, I did. I talked to people for a week. I can go bang out some code again, uh, which was which was awesome. And eventually, of course, that turned into, oh, I really understand how this, you know, you know how to do that and uh, and so on. And that was a great learning experience through that through that time. And then I, I leveraged a lot of that learning and, of course, learned a lot more when I was at Google. And that job at Google was all product management and, and people management. None of it was about building anything myself. It was about uh, specifying, you know, going talking to customers and bringing that data back to the team and then helping the organization decide what that team needed to look like in order to succeed in that market. And so I leveraged all of that skill set I had built during building Exablocks in order to actually um, build that vision for this whole portfolio of products in Google Cloud. And then, you know, kind of steer a team executing towards it rather than being the, the feet on the ground actually doing it. Um, and the really fun thing with Minecraft Playdates is I get to wear all those hats. So in Minecraft Playdates, it's not only am I, you know, out doing customer discovery, which is 90% of my day right now, uh, in the average day, but it's also then taking that data back and then going to you know, flesh out the product and build the product out to make sure in the service to make sure it's going to be able to deliver on those things the customers have told me they need. Uh, and so it's super fun because I get to wear all the hats. Uh, and it's also super fun because this is a family business instead of a venture backed business. Uh, and so, you know, the whole the whole family is chipping in. You know, my, my son does play testing. You'll see a video on our website that, that he published about that's going to go live uh, this weekend about you know how to survive your first night in survival Minecraft, you know, where the mobs are out to get you. So, you know, video that my son published, you know, put together, he had scripted. Uh, you know, my wife is is doing a lot of our content uh and and helping on the on the customer and, and kind of, you know, uh, prospecting side. And so it's uh it's actually super fun. We get to all do this together. So uh, all this experience uh, uh being in technology, uh working in different roles so can I say uh, everything that uh, you did uh, in the past, uh, uh, you collected that and uh, you created something today, which is uh, making the 
uh, you get success? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot. So most of the products I brought to market and, and in my career, I brought at this point over 30 products to market in various, mostly in enterprise space. And like I was saying before, Minecraft Playdates or MC Playdates is the first consumer product I brought to market. Uh, and, and so if I think about, you know, how many people have I helped, uh, get their jobs done, you know, I helped build the, the inner, the infrastructure of the internet on the, on the networking side. I helped deliver storage products that enterprises need to store, you know, the videos that you're creating and in all the content you're creating. Uh, and so I feel like, uh, you know, how many lives have I, have I been able to impact? I'm not sure. Like I don't have a count. You know, because I count customers by enterprises, and, and then of course the enterprise counts their customers. You know, as as people like us. Um, but again, telecom, storage, hyperscale compute. You know, I think those are three main technologies that underpin a lot of the world today, uh, and especially you know with with you know supercomputers in our pocket. You know, it's uh, it, it's super interesting to think about you know, how much that, and, and that's just really gratifying, right? To feel like, hey, I made a difference uh, in the world there. And then with, with MC Playdates, it's awesome to think about I'm making a difference for parents, right? Like, I, I feel like I've, I've got that stage of my career where it's, um, you know, much more about, let, let, let's solve some problems for parents now, right? Like, I'm a parent myself, and, and I don't feel like these problems are solved. So, so super, super fun in, uh, to, to do that. And creating something from nothing and getting a compliment from it. How yeah. is that? That's the best feeling in the world, let me tell you. Like, like it's great to work on a large team, on a large product. You know, if you think about, for example, um, let's, take a, let's take a recent example. Um, let's say you're, you're working for SpaceX and you were responsible for, you know, being the building the dragon crew capsule right so you're responsible for some component in that maybe a screen or maybe a seat or an armrest or or something like that right like wow like super amazing like your stuff's flying into space it's like people are going to go to mars on that right like you're servicing the international space station really awesome awesome technology a great feeling right uh, that's that's sort of how how I feel about most of my what I've done in my career is is I've built pieces of infrastructure that have enabled you know and and contributed to to things like that and I think that's that's the best feeling uh, in the world especially I think starting a company like for any of the entrepreneurs that are watching your channel I think companies starting starting a company has probably at least two maybe three super interesting phases. Uh, that are really fun in different ways. The first phase is, of course, the pre-customer phase, you know, pre-customer, pre-product, right? You're starting from nothing. Uh, you're starting from an idea on the back of a napkin, uh, you know, with, with some friends, uh, you know, to, to, with, a, with a new vision. That first phase, as you go from nothing to something and you build your first iteration of the product and it's, you know, kind of pre-customer, and so you don't have a lot of um, uh, a lot of people. You still have you have to start, you have to maintain and do a lot of. There's no overhead. That's in other words, it's just vision and execution. 
uh, and it's and it's super fun. Uh, and then phase two, so again, I, I think there's three phases. I, you know, I'm thinking through this more. The second, and, and that's really, really fun because you're moving really fast. Like you're building, building from scratch. Like one day you have nothing, the next day you have a feature and, and something works, right? Uh, and that, and, and that just feels great because, because you have high velocity. You feel like you're really moving the needle. The next phase is once you get that product you built or that service you built in front of customers, and they start adopting. And then that adrenaline rush you get when somebody swipes their credit card, you know, you're like, wow, like I created value for somebody like, and they believed like, like, like I created enough value. They swiped their credit card. Like, how cool is that? No, no matter what, whether it's a dollar or, you know, $500,000, you know, depending on who you're selling to, you know, you have to have the right expectations and what that credit card swipe is going to be. But that's, that's just like a, a really great great feeling. And I think the third really fun phase of a startup is at scale, right? So you've gotten through the rough, you've gotten through the, the build, the first iteration of the product, people started swiping their credit cards. Now you have effectively a data source. This is all of your customers about how do you can serve them better? Cause you can go ask them. You don't have to guess anymore, right? Like you can actually go ask your customer, do you like this feature or, or, or not? What about if we did it this way? What if we did it this way? Like, what if we added this whole new feature Would that? Would you pay me more money? All right. Like, or, uh, or whatever. Right. So you have a good data point because that's, that's very actionable advice, right? From you get, you get very, very good data from going to talk to your customers. Your innovation trajectory changes a little bit as well because it changes to servicing the customer base a bit more than trying to find a new customer base in, in many cases. And, and so that changes the way your company works, which is also really interesting and exciting as a, if you think about building a company as an engineering project, I think, you know, how does it need to change? You know, where do the, where do the levers that have tweakable, you know, where are the knobs that you can, you can change? Where do they need to be? And how do you, how do you keep iterating on it? Uh, and then the third phase is once you get to scale, and now it becomes a lot more about keeping the team aligned to the vision and making sure the company is, is remaining relevant in the space, right? And so in, in that case, it's, it's all about growth and it's about how do you manage growth so that you're a great place to work for your, your employees, as well as how do you deliver huge value for your customers? Right. So that navigating that at scale, you can imagine, let's say you're a 1000 person company or you're a 100,000 person company. The way you need to, the way the things you need to do to make sure that your employees have a great place to work are going to be very different at those two scales versus, you know, a three person company, three person company. Right. Like everyone talk to everybody. So it's pretty straightforward. But uh, at 50 or 60 people, that changes. You know, you can't really you know, have a, have a personal relationship with, with all 60 people in your company, uh, that that's super deep. And then imagine you're a thousand or a hundred thousand. It's just not, not even practical to even try <laughs> right at that, at that stage. I think there's some research that says, you know, an average human can have about 150, uh, you know, kind of close connections that they can maintain. Right. And so if you see your life as walking through a ever shifting, pattern of about 150 people it's uh you know 
And how do you, how many of those are you going to dedicate to your, your professional life versus your, your personal life? That's, that's pretty interesting, I think. So you have created something that uh, works between uh, parents and uh, children. And uh, I can understand working in different companies and different roles, understanding the product management, sales, yep. uh, business, uh, business aspect of the technology, as well as uh, the development of, uh, of a product. So can I say you understand the emotion and the logic? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to good way to put it. The emotion and the logic are both uh, both critical. Uh, you you have to service both. It's not enough to solve somebody's problem. You have to solve it in a way that's meaningful for them, right? Like you know, and I think that's that's why with Minecraft playdates, the messaging and and kind of our our strategy. And the problem we're trying to solve with parents is really appealing to their their ability to let their their kids play in something that they might not have. You know, if you just go and look at Minecraft, they're like, well, there's a list of 20 servers built into the game. Each of those servers has thousands of people on it, tens of thousands of people on it, maybe hundreds of thousands of people on it. Do I really want my kid playing there? Right. Like and you take that whole stress, stress away because. You give some some ability to for the parents to control who they're playing with, uh, and I think it's as simple as that, right? Like that's a that's a bit of parent like philosophy, parenting philosophy, right? Like some people are much more free range with their kid. You kind of let your kid go experience the world and you know right away from the beginning, you know, without any without any filters. And other parents want to put some filters on so they can mediate how quickly their kids you know go go and we personally don't have an opinion obviously for our own kid we have an opinion but for for other people's kids we think that's that's the parents choice and we're just a tool to to help them you know should they decide you know the right thing to do is is some kind of you know some filter or some kind of limits around what they can do uh i think that's that you know that's there's a lot of emotional content in that right because it's you know, the kids are probably asking them to go play on that, you know, that that server with a thousand people on it that they watched, on, you know, they heard about on YouTube or something. Right. <laughs> right. So their parents are kind of you know, weighing the pros and cons, you know, and I think that that calculus for them, it's very. It's not a very analytical thing, right? It's a very like it's all tied up in what's the right way to raise a kid, right, which is which as far as I can tell, there's no right answer uh, for there's lots of there's lots of ways that work. Um, so I think, you know, that's a very emotional connection with with the parents that are going to be the subscribers to uh, to the service. While the you know, the kids are, of course, aren't thinking about this. They just want to be like, hey, can I play Minecraft? Can I play in that that mini game? Can I play the Bed Wars mini game? You know, as you know, or or whatever it is that they want to do in Minecraft. Um, and so those are navigating those two sets of features that, you know, features for parents and features for kids is, is really interesting. And then you, you start adding on esports clubs to that. Right. Not only do you I think there's a lot less. Now you've got a lot of team building and team style play in the esports area. And that's, I think, really interesting to think about, like what kind of. If you're going to run an esports league and you're going to have tournaments and you're going to stream them on YouTube or on Twitch or whatever, like what's the right what we you know, there's a whole bunch of features there, you know, and, and things you can do to support that. So I think that that's the other really interesting thing. Um, 
in that space. And that's true no matter, you know, whether it's Minecraft, like, like what we're doing today in enterprise, you know, and, you know, some enterprise software like I've done in my past and probably will do in my future uh, or uh, or anything else. Like, you know, why do why do phones have the this form factor? Right. Like there's some emotion to uh, to this. You know, why, do, why, why are coffee mugs <laughs> shaped the way they are? Right. Like there's an emotional and a, and, a, you know, a bunch of features there from a, from a consumption basis. Right. So. Um, it's both. It, it's really interesting to navigate the emotional content of a product and how it feels to somebody. In in addition to, does it get the job done that that they're trying to get done with it? You know, is this is this a good mug to deliver my coffee? It turns out I like this mug a lot, so it's the one I almost always use, and I have you know five mugs in the in the in the cupboard. <laughs> so it must do something right. And. Uh... It's not easy for you to uh, reach everywhere. Can I say uh, you have understood what exactly works? Um, not sure. I completely understand your question, but I'll give it, give it an attempt. Um, it's really hard to reach everywhere. Completely agree, especially as a startup. Uh, in the entrepreneurship journey, uh, one of the lessons I've learned is effectively, depending on how much funding and capital, you know, quote unquote capital, you can throw at something. It sort of defines the approach you need to take. Uh, if you're going to build a company in a in a space with large incumbents, um, and just to give you some random hypothetical example, I think you just had Jeff Barr from uh, from AWS on. Obviously, AWS is an amazing business. Uh, really mad props, and, and Jeff's a great guy. Um, really interesting. If let's say you wanted to build a business to compete with Amazon, I, you can't really come out and that can't be your headline messaging, right? You can't come at them, you know, in, in, in like head on, let's say, right? You, you need to find a niche where, where they're not servicing when that niche Get, get to become well known for that small market that that's too small for Amazon to care about. Uh, right. And really win well, make those people evangelists for you because they like your company and the way you did things. And then you leverage that kind of you've built that base. There's a customer base that you, that is now very loyal to your product and your way of looking at the, at the market. And then you can keep doing that for all these underserved niche, like niche places that independently aren't big enough for Amazon to care about. And, and you know, to continue the example, I'm not picking on Amazon by, by any stretch or necessarily giving you, you know, your listeners any great, you know, great insight about how to compete with them. I think it's just it's really good just because to get the scale difference, like they're, they're obviously high scale. Um, it's hard to attack head on because if you attack a, a company head on in the space that they're the the dominant player in, they have the resources to basically outcompete you with that customer. For every advertisement you put out, they can put out ten that say the opposite, right? And and who's going to win in that in that game? Clearly, whoever's spending more money, and they're going to be able to spend more money than you. Um, 
And so that's why a more subtle approach is typically necessary, right? Is, is find an underserved market. In, in, in my case today, that underserved market is parents of kids that want to play Minecraft. Mostly because all the other Minecraft server hosting companies aren't focused on them. They're focused on people that are interested in how do I get the best performance out of my server? Uh, I, I think I need this much RAM. I need this much com compute, right? And so I'm going to go, those are going to be my dominant criteria to pick. You know, which product am I going to buy from you? <laughs> right. That's not on the top of parents' minds. And so that's our, you know, I think a differentiator, you know, about how to, how to think about those, those spaces is we'll win there. We'll win with, with places where the existing companies can't or don't want to serve, uh, you know, those kind of customers. And then maybe someday, you know, we'll be big enough to actually go compete in, in that space as well. But, you know, I think, uh, we'll see that, yeah, that's predicting the future. Uh, thinking as a thing, uh, thinking as a parent and, uh, 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 solving problems uh, for parents and listening uh, to them and getting feedback from them as a parent for parents. So how is that? Yeah. Um, really great. Uh, so we're, I think one of the things that differentiates a startup from a very large company is we can offer very personalized support. Mostly because at the, as you get to a certain scale, it becomes you end up having to build a team to handle basically customer communications, right? It's not coming straight from the founders of the company anymore or the, or the leadership of the company. And it's unfortunate, but but necessary because you just can't scale like there's only so many hours in a day. Uh, and so I think the big one of the big in general, if you're going to build a build a startup, one of the things that often appeals to customers is the fact that they have a direct line into you know somebody better than a, a you know an average support person in a call center somewhere, right? Um, which can often be a frustrating experience uh, for them because people in the call centers may not be well trained, you know, and or may not be uh, super deep experts in the space, um, you know, where they yeah you know, they might be running off a you know a checklist of you know or a script of a customer says I have this problem try these solutions, right? And there's not a lot of space to innovate in there. And they might not, may not have the experience to innovate. Um, whereas if you're talking to an expert, right, somebody that built the company and built the product, yeah, like they're much more likely to uh, gonna be able to, to answer your question. And not only that, be really understand, oh, did you find a bug in the product? You know, is that something we need to go fix? Uh, or is that, you know, oh, yeah, you know what? Here, we can help you because we understand, you know, what's going on. Like, they're the people that effectively in a large company are the same kind of people that would write that script for the first line support person. Right. And it's so they're they're much more of an expert. Um, and I think that's that's super exciting at the beta stage. It's a lot of one on one with 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 our customers. Right. Like, in, in fact, that's a really, really important piece, I think, of most beta betas uh, during, you know, or early releases is to cap the number of people that are participating so that you can continue to have hands on, you know, hands on contact with every one of those participants. Um, you know, certainly at the early stages, I think there, I think there can be a phase where you think the product's pretty well baked and all you need to do is test scalability. And in which case, I think, you know, doing some kind of invite or, you know, opening it up to a much wider, wider set of people without making, you know, kind of a 
you know, it, it, it's it's ready for prime time promise. Uh, can can actually be can be useful and valuable for the for the participants. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun, you know, talking to parents in Singapore, talking to parents, you know, in Europe, talking to parents, you know, all over the in the U.S. Of course, and um, helping them let their kids have fun, right? Like it's uh, it, it's been really fulfilling. Uh, and now starting to talk to educators in esports league, I feel like we can really amp up that that ability to make a difference there, right? If you think about the average you know educator, they have a goal. You know, and the thing that that they're good at is is the education piece, and the thing that for them, kind of what I would think of as overhead is managing the technology that underlies whatever the course they want to teach is. They want to teach how to build Minecraft, you know, mods or, you know, or, or whatever. They want to teach an architecture class and they want to use Minecraft as the virtual world where kids are building stuff, um, which, which I think is awesome. But do you think that teacher really wants to be an expert in tuning, you know, Minecraft servers? Like that's a cost for them, right? And so this is you know, if you think about the entrepreneurship is all about finding a spot where you think you can create value for somebody, more value than you're going to charge them, essentially, right? Like what's going to motivate somebody to to buy something from you is it's worth is what you're charging for it for them, um, and you're always going to think it's worth more. Then, uh, then they're going to think it's worth, right? Uh, just because it's, it's your pet, uh, it's the thing you built. And I think that's uh, finding that that sweet spot in, you know, understanding what value you're creating uh, for them, and looking at that, you know, kind of dispassionately, you know, taking your emotion out of it, and uh, and making sure that the price you're charging is actually a fair price for for that, and then making sure you can build a, a viable business. You know, by scaling that that piece of the equation, right? <laughs> Throw in more customers on one side, and you know your your unit cost economics, your per customer, you're making more money than you're losing, you know, in some sense, right? Like, and that margin is gives you ability to to continue growing. Uh, you actually uh, started growing uh, uh, with a computer that your parents gave you, and uh, you started learning from it, and you spent a lot of years. In understanding it and uh, also uh, 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 using it uh, for your uh, uh, growth, and with with the product that your parents gave you, now uh, you become parent and uh, you are doing it for children, and uh, you know you understand both the perspectives. Yeah. Uh, uh, more than uh, learning from others, you actually in your own life you have understood the two perspectives. So can I say this product that you built is more your personal? Um, yeah. So it actually, it's a great observation. I've never never thought about it that way. Um, I always have been passionate about learning how to build something. If I see something in the world, I want to understand how it works. You know. So I, I don't know. It's it's the way I was born. I'm you know born as an engineer, I guess. Right. Like, a, you know, whether it's, you know, something physical or something software, you know, I got obsessed mostly with software, but, you know, I build buildings around the house, too. Um, and I think. This is a, a good example of me getting to a stage in my life where I'm realizing the problems 
there's this interesting problem solving problems for parents as there are solving problems for for large you know large companies um, and this is a chance to have a more direct impact on I think on parents' lives and that feels really good right like it feels great when a, when a parent can you know can get their kid playing with, with their friends and and now they can you know they have something that that they share that that, ex, that shared experience that they can all uh, you, you can all do uh, you know and same thing with my my you know my kid and, and his friends right now you know he's he loves team sports uh, you know and so getting him to go play with a bunch of friends on a Minecraft server I think that's you know where they're kind of organizing and making up their own games and and so on it's it's, it's awesome to see. And uh, you understood the software and hardware. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to human being, uh, the hardware and the software, the psychological thing and uh, also the physical body. So uh, based upon your experience, you have worked in large companies and also with large enterprises, uh, talking with uh, uh, great people. Also, uh, you have created a huge revenue for companies with your knowledge. So what do you understood about this? Uh, uh, apart from technology, yeah. uh, as, a, as, a, as a human being, uh, uh, this this hardware and this software? <laughs> great, great question. Uh, really interesting way to think about it as well. Um, are humans just hardware with some software running on them? Or is there something more? That's a question nobody has the answer to, right? Uh, let me think about this for a minute. Um, it's uh, you know I'll come back come back to. I feel like you know one of the things I'm good at is is being able to solve problems for you know building building something to solve somebody's problem, right? Uh, and then being able to give it to them you know so they have a better experience. And I think if I think about this, you know. In the big picture view, you know, any one thing I'm building for somebody, you know, in the history of humanity is you know, it's this like micro micro improvement in in our experience as humans. But it's a contributing factor. Right. Like and, and I, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things is I was teaching a, a course uh, for for new hires uh, at Google. And one of the questions I would ask them is, let's take your average day, you know, how much you can accomplish, you know, and of course, this is all business context, right? So how much you can accomplish in this case for Google in an average day. And let's, let's, I want you to, I, I want to do a poll. 20 years from now, are you going to be able to have more impact, equal impact, or the same amount of impact, sorry, less equal or more impact? In, an, in any given day than you do today, you know. And of course, everybody guesses they're going to be able to have more impact, right? Which, is, which stands to reason, if you look at the history of humanity, it is a history of, you know, more and more impact uh, with less and less time invested and less and less, you know, overhead invested. You know, building a pyramid used to be, you know, how many counted in lives, uh, right? And, 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 and now, you know, building, you know, if, if anybody gets hurt building a sky rise, right? Like that's actually a really bad thing, right? So 
you know, and, you know, stands to reason there's a lot of automation in there, right? And so obviously in building and in a lot of areas in life, right, things have gotten way more efficient and, and way more capable. And so I like to think that the things I've been able to deliver and will continue to deliver over my career are incremental steps into making us, you know, much more, have much more, uh, be able to focus our energies much more in the future. You know, you know, and even after today, post-product, I can focus my energies as a parent much more on, you know, other things than managing Minecraft servers, right? Like just to, you know, bring it back to today's example. But overall, my whole career is let's make it better for people to communicate more easily, store things more easily, retrieve them. All of these are incremental steps in making people more productive and be able, be able to focus much more on things they care about and less on, you know, what I would say the infrastructure of life, you know, or business. You know, if the average person in the medieval time had to probably spend four or eight hours a day, you know, just to exist, just to, you know, get themselves in a position where they could exist through the winter or for the next season or whatever, right? You know, hard work in the fields to, to harvest the food and so on. And humanity as a whole, like the average person, mostly, you know, you know, in, in many cases, there's still disparity here, of course. It's a, it's a big problem. But, you know, most people, mo the most people in the world in that are in a position where they don't have to worry about that kind of thing as, as kind of number one stress in their life. Right. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's not not a stress at all yet, but, you know, we're working on it. But, uh, you know, for most people, it's not the number one. And I think that's, you know, you just kind of keep projecting that out year after year, decade after decade, eon after eon. I think we end up in, in a really good, really good place um, based on, you know, incremental advancements that, you know, people like you and me are making uh, in the world. So. Uh, today you are contributing, you are uh, giving service and you are helping people. You are changing something today. Uh, uh, the number is big compared to the number uh, that you did as an uh, individual person uh, talking with computer in your beginning days. So you yeah. you are the best example for, for anybody. Uh, uh, your growth or your graph will say, uh, how much you impacted with your with the thought process that you have or the understanding that you have about technology and about uh, 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 business or about like you are doing business now you're helping parents and uh, uh, children so this this complete understanding how how this uh, uh, experience you are using and how you are improving yourself also uh, what is your intention and what is your intensity behind this and what is your uh, intuition to uh, and what is your goal where you want to reach yeah great uh, great set of questions um <clears throat> you know on the average day you know working i'm not thinking about really you know this level of big big you know, big, big, long reaching kind of things. These are like, you know, reflecting on where the individual decisions I'm making on a daily basis have taken me. 
and and so on. And so I think that's that that's really interesting. You know, by and large, my main hope is that, uh, you know, I've made the world an incrementally better place in the areas that I'm an expert and can contribute, uh, you know, in you know, in, in helping foster communication, you know, help, helping, helping people do more, you know, do more and, and spend more time with their families and so on. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's at the end of the, the name of the game, uh, ultimately. And, you know, having fun doing it along the way, right? Like the technology itself is actually pretty exciting, um, that, that underlies it. And so I think that's, that's probably my best answer, you know, uh, you know, I don't know when, uh, you know, I'm only a little bit gray right now in my, so I've, I've still got a bunch of years to think about, you know, what's, what's my legacy. And, uh, and mostly, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's evolving around, you know, making the world a better place in the ways that I can help with, um, by and large. And, uh, at last, what do you say about your, uh, uh contribution, uh, to the world? Uh, it's a great question. It remains to be seen whether anything I've done, uh, you know, is a great contribution to the world. Uh, certainly not a motivating factor that, you know, something like, you know, people know my name after I'm dead. Uh, I think a motivating factor is, is just the, the fact that, you know, I can make people's lives, you know, better, you know, to, you know, whether they remember my name or not doesn't matter. You know, what matters is, hey, you know, I, I did something impactful for them today. And I built a piece of the base that the next generation is going to be able to build on uh, in order to you know, take us to that next level. You know, um, and, you know, I'm not a city planner. I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not an economist. You know, what I know is, you know, how to look at, you know, you know, kind of I mean, maybe one step down from that and, and look about look at. Uh, analyze a space, see what where people are spending time, and then optimize it for them. Essentially, I think that's what I'm good at uh, is is coming up with solutions to make things better um, than the way you used to used to do it. So, so that, you know that's 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 sort of what I hope. Uh, and and hey, having fun building a family business along the way, uh, I think is is one of those things I hadn't done before. I'd always done kept business and and personal life pretty separate. Uh, and so this is this is a fun this is a fun experience to do this you know with the family. Um, and my son is a budding entrepreneur. He's nine. You know he's always coming up with with uh, with businesses to build to solve problems for people in his own way. And so this is a great place to kind of harness a bunch of that energy uh, of his and actually you know walk through as a learning experience. Here's all the pieces of company building that are important from the product development all the way through the go to market and the servicing of, of customer problems. Uh, so he gets to see all of that. And so when he goes and builds a company, you know, ideally because he's getting that, you know, that experience early, you know, his is going to be, he's going to avoid a bunch of mistakes a lot of entrepreneurs make uh, later on, right? Because he'll have, he'll have seen it and he'll have seen like, oh yeah, this is, the, you know, this is the things we need to do. And then of course he'll learn from my mistakes, hopefully as well as, you know, along the way. <laughs> So family, family is helping the other families. Exactly, yeah. That that's the purpose of of mcplaydates.com. That's our our real purpose. There is uh is you know our family helping other families 
you know, in, in this, in this admittedly, you know, people playing Minecraft is, is maybe not, you know, it's not, it's not like solving world hunger. It's not like a super pressing problem in the grand scheme of things, but you would be surprised how many parents uh, are spending time thinking about it. Right. And, and so it's an area where we have expertise that we can, we can solve, you know, some of the day-to-day problems that, uh, that these folks are having. So really, really exciting. You want to add uh, additional features to it? Yeah, we're uh, we're always uh, seeking input from from customers and uh, and folks like that uh, in order to make sure it's the best service for them. So you know, if any of your viewers sign up um, in the in the sign up email, there's even a link to a video chat with me. So if you have some feedback, you're happy to grab jump on a video chat with uh, with with them immediately. Gives you some sense. Yeah, obviously, you can't do that as a as a large company, right? Like, you know, there's some point at which that will fail to scale. But we're still at the scale right now where there's a few hours of my day that I can actually spend uh, not managing the logistics of a company and and actually go and get on that get on that call with 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 a customer and get a real feel for for where they're where they're struggling. And that's super valuable to me. You, you know, even at scale. I always make it a point to make sure that I carve out time for that. Um, you know, just just it keeps my feet on the ground as as a leader to make sure I'm always solving the the actual you know end customer problem, and I'm not just lost in you know a spaghetti of of organizing you know how a company is working without without it, you know. So I always get my you know my my fingers on the pulse of of the actual person we're benefiting. Great. Uh, can you spell your uh, uh, work to my podcast listeners so that they can see the work that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, our website is mcplaydates.com. That's M-C-P-L-A-Y-D-A-T-E-S.com. Um, and there's you know plenty of content on there to, to explain what it is. Uh, and there's a place that, you know, if they're curious, uh, there's a mailing list they can just sign up for. Uh, and well, you know, send them a send them a note once or twice a month about what we're up to, uh, and then of course you can you can subscribe and you know send a support request or, or whatever, and you get you know that lands right in my inbox right now. I'll put your links in the description of this video on YouTube. Can people who can see the video on YouTube can see uh, awesome. uh, your links, uh, and also I'll put on the screen as well. They can see the entire uh, conversation. Your links. So. Sure. As, a, as an entrepreneur, as a person who worked in different organizations and now uh, owning the family business, so what is your observation about my work? Have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube? And also my questioning uh, in yeah. this conversation. Yeah, you know, um, Jeff Barr is a great, uh, I think one of the ones I just watched recently, that's the one that's top of mind. Um, and, uh, and obviously, you know, him, he's also a long-time long, long technologist. You know, Ben, been in the computer industry since, you know, its early days. Uh, and so just to get some of that insight. And one of the things that's really interesting from him that I picked up on and very much agree with, you know, from his perspective is our industry hasn't really mellowed out at all. Right. If anything, it's accelerated. Like, like he said it very differently. Right. Like he said he thought, in you know, in his later years, he was going to have a kind of a chill an easy kind of like, you know, write, write out this, you know, you know, this thing and things get easy. But in fact, the last 20 years of his career have been the most interesting of his career. 
And I actually see this across technology in general. I feel like it used to be one or two industries would go through innovation phases where that whole industry overhauls itself and makes itself better. You know, telecom, maybe on one hand, maybe it's manufacturing, maybe it's you know something else. I feel like today all industries are going through massive innovation curves concurrently, all at the same time, right? Bio and healthcare, manufacturing is constantly being innovated. Obviously, computer technology, space, telecommunication. Like, name an industry that's not going through heavy innovation right now. And I feel like as a consequence, we're living, if, if you're a technologist, we're living in the most interesting era of technology ever, and there are no signs that that's, you know, that's a blip and that it's going to slow down. Right. I think. And so super exciting. Right. There's there's always some 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 crazy, you know, new new thing to think about. Whether you're a blockchain enthusiast and you believe that, you know, uh, electronic money built on blockchain is the future. Right. Like even the monetary system is going under, you know, going through a bunch of uh, innovation right now. You know, and that's been pretty, pretty stable since. Uh, what Roman times, <laughs> you know, money hasn't changed that much, uh, you know, until recently. So I think, you know, really interesting era, no matter what industry you're in to, uh, you know, to be able to actually make big contributions that, uh, that get multiplied over time. And since they're the base layer that everything else we get innovated on. And what do you say about my questioning in this conversation? Uh, great set of questions. Uh, what I like about your, your questions is they're very open-ended. Uh, and so, you know, there's not, it's not a lot of what I would call transactional questions, right? Like you don't ask the standard kind of transactional questions that most interviews ask that everybody has pre-prepared, you know, responses for. Uh, and so it's a much more free-flowing kind of conversation. Maybe leads me to pontificate a, a bit too much. You know, because it does it does keep me on my toes and it's stuff by and large, like what's really interesting about this is uh, in your style. Is like these are not like the kind of questions I would have expected. Right. Uh, you know, at all. And so I think that's that's super fun to uh, to do. It's not a very traditional interview um, process. Um, me, uh, I personally did master's in software engineering, also bachelor's in computer science and engineering. Right now, I'm uh, getting trained as a AWS Cloud DevOps engineer role. I saw uh, that. Apart, uh, yeah. apart from this, I'm talking with experts like you who are already in the industry, who, are, who have worked in different products, also different uh, businesses, also from different industries. More than 550 interviews I did in last two years uh, from mm-hmm. uh, uh, 100 plus countries. So how this experience talking with experts like you who, are, who already solved different problems, yeah. have already seen uh, uh, how things work, learning from you, how I'm going to use this knowledge if I come, uh, if I work in IT in coming days. Yeah. Um, short answer, I have a couple answers here, and I think there's a couple of things important to uh, at, at early on in, in a career. And if, if you're familiar with the idea of, of compounding interest, uh, in something, I think that really is applicable in um, in your career as well. 
you know, I think it's important early in the career, in your career to pick up something you're really excited about and really get to the heart of it, right? Like feel like you fully, you, you, you fully understand the space in a lot of ways. That's really important. And that probably takes, you know, three to five years of, of deep, you know, deeply, you know, doing that job, you know, in the case of, you know, um, what you mentioned, you know, doing that DevOps kind of job, you know, in, in a meaningful way for, you know, I think, you know, extended period of time, because what you realize at the end of, by the, what you realize as what I realized coming out of the end of, of my, the start of my career, when I kind of transitioned to that, you know, the, the more senior phase of my career was, during that time, I was able to build a toolbox of techniques that meant that most of the day-to-day stuff was was sort of sub, at subconscious level. I didn't really think about have to, how to do the job so much as I had to think about, you know, what is it that I need to deliver? And then I was pretty confident I could deliver it, right, um, at a certain scale. And, but in order to build that toolbox, you have that set of tools that you can just apply instead of being developing the tools and then applying the tools. Um, you know, it just makes you that you have a much deeper understanding of your, of your space. And so I think that's very hard to do. Um, if you're constantly, it, it, a lot of people do have a lot of interests, but if you don't actually spend that three to five years picking one of them and, and kind of deep diving into it, um, it's going to be hard in later in life to have built the depth of experience that will lead to you being super confident in, in a given area, right? Like, so let's say today you're doing DevOps engineering and I don't know, 10 years from now, you want to start a DevOps company, right? You know, the people you need to hire, how are you going to evaluate them if you if if you've been jumping around and, and, and kind of, you know, don't have deep expertise in the space. Right. And and so I think that's that's one way to see it. Right. Because what you're going to want to do is going to evolve over time. But I think what you're doing with YouTube is, is a great example and of, of, a, of a couple things in the, in the entrepreneurship journey. One, it's something you're super passionate about. And you can tell that because you've done a ton of interviews. Uh, and two, I think the other really interesting thing about it is you found a niche where nobody else is focusing, right? Which is, you know, I'm an average, you know, an average you know, contributor in this technology ecosystem. Uh, and I don't think I've seen a lot of other average, you know, average, averagely successful, let's call it you know, contributors, uh, on, you know, on a lot of other channels. And so I think you, you're, you found a niche of finding an, an ecosystem and talking to people that are responsible for a lot of the success of that space, but may not be the name brands that you, you've heard, you've heard about. Right. And I think that's, that's like a great, you know, that's a great way to break in and, and to establish your, your niche and your learning experience about how to run these interviews and so on, and then use that to leverage it in whatever you want the channel to become. Right. And so I think that's taking that same kind of concept and applying that over and over again throughout your career, you know, in different areas, you know, that deep dive phase where you figure all that out and you get to the heart of it and then you execute it for a while and you feel where you figure out where the failure modes are and where you have to tweak and tune in order to avoid them. 
that process that you learn deep diving the first time, applying it effectively, you would just end up applying it over and over again in your career, except the scale that you're executing at is bigger. You know, first, you're an individual contributor. Second, you know, you're a publisher. You know, <laughs> you're third, you know, you're probably doing all the editing and all the publishing and like everything yourself. Right. And eventually, you know, hey, I got to like if it's successful, I got to hire people for that. And you know what job you need them to do. Right. And so you're you're much better at being able to, to run that. But if you hadn't done that, if you had just gone straight to hiring, chances are you hire the wrong person the first try. Right. And you have to. And that's a more expensive uh, you can still learn from it, <laughs> but I think it's a more expensive way to learn, uh, unless you have a big, you know, large capital pool of capital that uh, enables you to learn that way. But most people don't. You know, so I think that's, it's a, that's the fun. It's, a, it's an expensive observation that I got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Like, uh, how how big? How long have you been doing the channel? I think it's been like three three years or something. Yeah. Yeah. Almost three years, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, and let me turn it around and ask you a question. Like, what's your, from the three years worth of, of running this, what's your, if you could distill it down into one key learning, what's the, what's the biggest one? Uh, to see uh, different uh, human beings talking about different things in different ways and in different styles, having completely different uh, backgrounds and experiences so yeah. every time when i listen to a new person uh, they talk something that uh, uh, something that didn't happen in other person's life uh, uh, whatever the problem they say that is they, uh, they, if they say 10 problems at least one or two problems will be different so eight problems i will listen from everybody but yep. those two problems i can uh, carry with yeah. me I think that's like, it, it, I'm not sure if this is this was your intent when you started the channel or if it was like you just really interested in what, what people were thinking. But if you think about what you just said, that's going to be true for your career as well. No matter what you do, eight out of 10 things you have to do are going to be the same things anyone would have to do in that space. Right. And then there's two two of those eight are going to be where you can innovate. Right. And And I think and that's that like having you know, you probably know what they all are. I haven't watched enough of your videos yet, but uh, I watched a 20 minute or I listened to a podcast, 20 minute VC, which I don't know if you're familiar with this channel. Uh, the guy started it when he was 19 years old. He wanted to be a, become a VC, a venture capitalist. Um, and so his idea was, I'm going to go interview venture capitalists and make a 20 minute podcast, you know, on, on for each one I, I interview. I listened to him in 2016 for about, I had a, I had a three hour commute every day, hour and a half each way. So I listened to three hours of 20 minute podcasts. Uh, he had interviewed, I think, 6,000 venture capitalists. Uh, by this point, I listened to probably 2,000 of those interviews. And it was sort of the same observation that you can, he can't, he, you know, he had a much more structured interview approach and kind of asked kind of everybody the same questions and so on. I got a really good feel after 2000 episodes where the VCs can innovate and where they're just following the game plan. Right. Like, and it was really interesting, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur myself and having sat on all sides of the table is really interesting to be able to see that from the investor side, to think about, 
next time I'm pitching to an investor for funding, here's the checklist of, of where I have to pattern match against, you know, the standard uh, that I have to execute against. And here's a couple of areas where I can innovate. But I need to understand for that venture capitalist, where where do they see their 20 percent ability to innovate versus somebody else's? And that's play to that. Right. Like, how can I how can I play to that piece of their their curve? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, definitely, you will have a lot of uh, uh, content to learn from that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and same thing with you, I think, you know, as, I, as I've started, you know, I just you reached out to me on Twitter, I think. But for some reason, I couldn't yeah. read your message and uh, I don't know, whatever. And uh, and so I haven't had a chance to uh, go through that much of your content, but I'm hoping to gain some some really interesting insights as I go through, you know, and, and catch up on some of your older content. My all my interviews are, are as interesting as this this interview. Awesome. Well, it remains to be seen whether this is interesting or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the uh, quality uh, uh, conversations that I had today. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Is is your goal like how do you how do you find people to interview? Uh, we have internet. We have a uh, yep. lot of mediums. Uh, I have work to show them, and uh, yep. they if they if they uh, they watch some of my videos uh, because I I can I connect with different people. They will connect with some some people, not yep. necessarily with everybody. So that that's how. But most of the people, the common thing that they say is like me de- being diverse. Uh, connecting with completely different uh, people is not that uh, they say that uh, you have uh, some great uh, communication style that is connecting with everybody so keep doing what you're doing like even when I interviewed a person from uh, NASA uh, who works in NASA uh, I asked him about the communication that happens in uh, uh, ISS or uh, how much far uh, we as a human beings uh, have uh, sent some information yeah. and uh, when we are going to achieve the right speed yeah these kind of questions so yeah. that makes them think it, it definitely yeah 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 lots of, lots of challenges with the physics i think uh, yeah to deal with there cool yeah. can i put this video on my youtube channel with your permission yeah definitely yes and also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yep. And and we're, we send out newsletters with Minecraft Playdates from time to time. Is it okay if I link to your content? On, yeah, on? definitely. All right, cool. Should help you with you know with viewership and uh, you know should help us as well, right? Get our name out there. So yeah, definitely. I'll put uh, this uh, interview on my website as well. Uh, all my 10 podcast uh, platforms with YouTube yeah. links and also your bio data, your company, uh, your work, everything will be there on my site as well. They can see who visits. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, uh, Ted, uh, for, for your valuable time and uh, your valuable words. Definitely what you're doing uh, will reach uh, maximum people because uh, what I understood is you're not just a technologist, you're you are also a parent. Uh, who has uh, personal uh, emotions which are connected uh, with the product that you're building. 
So definitely it will reach everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, maybe we can check back in a, in a year or two and see, uh, see how the business has grown. Yeah. Next year I'll connect with you again. Sounds great. Zai, awesome, awesome conversation today and great, uh, great to meet you. Thanks, sir. Keep going. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.